The scripture reading for this morning is Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when he had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all of all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended his temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Good morning. It is a blessing to be together this Lord's Day. We are thankful for the good number that we have. We have several who are out of town or are a little under the weather, and it's kind of a rainy morning at least. And so, But we still have several who are visiting with us, and we're especially grateful that you've chosen to come out and be with us this Lord's Day. We're, we hope that everything that we are doing here is right in, <clears throat> and in accordance with the Word of God. And I hope that if you see something that we do that is wrong, bring that to our attention. We would love to sit down and study the Word of God with you. If you have any questions about anything that we say or do or that we practice, we hope that you will uh, invite and open up your Bible. We invite you to do that all the time. and So we hope that we can be able to draw closer to God and understand His Word better together. In our theme for this year, we have chosen to study the gospel and how the gospel is for all people. And something that we have tried to address in understanding what the gospel is, I think sometimes it is a matter of over oversimplification. We turn to passages such as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for instance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul wrote in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so we sometimes oversimplify the Gospel, and we try to say it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while I would submit to you that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is part of the Gospel, I think we have been able to establish throughout our study this year that it is more than that. That the gospel is, it contains God's promise of 
His plan from the beginning. That whenever He made promises to Abraham, that through His seed, all nations of the earth might be blessed, that we hold to God's faithfulness to fulfill His Word and to complete His promises. And the Gospel is the pronouncement, the proclamation that Jesus of Nazareth is God's blessing to all people and to all nations. And whenever Jesus was born, there was good news or gospel that was able to bring great joy and comfort. Jesus, we looked at last month in Luke, the fourth chapter, whenever He began His ministry, that He began with this mission to preach the Gospel. This morning, I also want us to look at another instance in the life of Jesus that also occurs in Luke chapter 4. And when Jesus was tempted. Because I think sometimes we would forget that this is part of the Gospel story about Jesus. And that He was victorious over temptation. And that is what gives us hope in the Gospel. That is what gives us great strength and comfort in the Gospel. That the Gospel is an answer for sin and for temptation. And the fact that Jesus was victorious over sin and temptation ought to demonstrate that this is something that is part of the Gospel story. When you think about Jesus and His temptation. In the book of Hebrews, if you would turn with me to the book of Hebrews, we're going to look at a few passages in the book of Hebrews this morning as we begin our study in Hebrews chapter 2. Notice what the Hebrew writer says and places some emphasis on Jesus and His relationship with temptation and sin. In Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 18... The Hebrew writer says at the end of that chapter, For since he himself was tempted, and that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. That is the benefit of Jesus being tempted in the first place, is that he knows what it is like to be tempted. That Jesus is not asking us to do something that he himself has not faced. You think, consider that. In the fact that the Scriptures try to encourage us and admonish us to avoid sin, to not participate in what is wicked and evil, the fact that Jesus faced that reality, faced temptation, He is able to come to our help. He is able to help us and give aid to those who are tempted because He has faced temptation. A couple chapters later in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, we see that Jesus, even though He faced temptation, that He did not give in. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, the Hebrew writer says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That you think about Jesus and His relationship with temptation, and sin, He did not participate in it. He did not give in to the temptation. That Jesus was victorious in His battle over temptation. 
And that leads us to what the Hebrew writer would say in Hebrews chapter 7 and in verse 26. In Hebrews the 7th chapter and in verse 26, as he is describing Jesus as our great high priest, it says, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That Jesus, He did not give in. He was innocent and undefiled. He was perfect. And that He was separate from the rest of us. He was separate from us. Because He did not give in to the temptations. And because of His sinlessness, if you just go back to the verse before in Hebrews 7 and verse 25, therefore He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Because Jesus faced temptation and because, because He overcame it, because He did not give in to temptation, He is qualified to be our great high priest. He serves as that high priest who brings a sacrifice, the sacrifice of His blood before our Father. And He is able to save us from our sins. And what I think the Hebrew writer is trying to teach us concerning Jesus and His temptation and how He was perfect and how He had victory over temptation, that He is connecting this with the broader story of our salvation. And that because of this being connected with our salvation, we can see that this is very much part of the Gospel because the Gospel is a message of salvation and forgiveness of our sins. And since Jesus was sinless and defeated Satan, His death on the cross was accepted to God so that we can have forgiveness from our sins. And so I think we need to consider the temptation of Jesus as an essential component of understanding the Gospel and what the Gospel is all about. And so I invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning with me to Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning in Luke chapter 4 in the passage that we have heard in our reading this morning. In Luke chapter 4, regarding the temptation of Jesus and the temptations that He faced that Satan brought against our Lord and our Savior. I think we need to understand this passage better for our own benefit, not just so that we can understand the Gospel, but that we can also understand victory and hope and forgiveness and that we might be strengthened when we ourselves also are tempted. You consider Jesus' temptations. In Luke chapter 4, just the context of what is being established here in Luke chapter 4 in verse 1, after Jesus had been baptized, He goes out into the wilderness. It says in verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. And while He is there in the wilderness, it says in verse 2, for 40 days being tempted by the devil. I think sometimes we think Jesus was just fasting for 40 days. And Matthew's account is a little bit um, ambiguous, I guess you could say that. 
In Luke's account though, here in Luke 4 and verse 2, he says that he was being tempted for 40 days. Okay? And he ate nothing during those days. Luke continues in verse 2. And when they had ended, he became hungry. So Jesus is fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. He's being tempted for 40 days. If you can imagine the intensity of the moment, that is what Luke is trying to help us understand. That this is a very intense moment in the life of Jesus. That He is being tempted by the devil. And we might go a day with several temptations, but if you can imagine, there's probably a day or two where you get a little bit of a break. (laughs) But if you imagine being hard-pressed for 40 days while you are fasting and not eating, you are physically and emotionally, perhaps even spiritually, getting weaker. Being exhausted and drained. Fasting for over a month. Of course, you're going to be hungry. And then you come to verse 3. When we are given three specific temptations that Jesus faced. It says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. We may think of that, we may think that'd be easy to pass up. Well, if you are hungry after not eating for over a month, you would probably wish that you could do anything to to turn anything into food. Especially if you're able to perform miracles. So don't discount and discredit what the devil is doing. He is not playing small ball here. He is going for the home run. Use in baseball terms. Satan is throwing the kitchen sink at Jesus. He appeals to Jesus' doubts. He says in verse 3, if you are the Son of God, if you really have this miraculous power, this ability, if the Holy Spirit is really with you, then turn this, these stones into bread. It's the first temptation that Jesus is facing that we are given information of here. And I think if you understand what the devil is really trying to do here, as he is trying to get Jesus to use his powers for his own benefit, what Satan is doing, he's trying to get Jesus to be selfish. He's trying to get Jesus to be selfish. To use your powers and your miraculous ability, your God-given approval, use it for yourself. Reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus. As he describes Jesus and His willingness to come to this earth, he describes it in such a way 
that is very selfless. And Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, Paul describes them in this way in verse 6, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That Jesus, He did not regard this equality with God a thing to be held on to for His own benefit. He gave up the, the prerogatives and the privileges of that. And He took on the form of a bondservant. The Creator became the creature. He became a man. He became a servant of others. The one who ought to be worshipped became a servant. And what the devil is trying to get Jesus to do is to use his abilities for his own benefit. How many times does Satan have to work on you to get you to be selfish? How many times does Satan win this battle in temptation? I would guess these aren't any kind of strict numbers, but eight or nine out of ten people probably give into that temptation right there. If you had the ability to turn stones into bread, you haven't eaten for a month, and you are hungry, you just better be glad I wasn't there. <laughs> Satan is trying to get Jesus to use his abilities and his powers to be selfish. And most people, I would suspect, give in to the temptations of sin and pleasure and selfishness. Someone takes from another and stealing. Why? Because they want something that they don't have. They are concerned about themselves. Or maybe when it comes to other things that we might participate in, we might drink alcohol because we are concerned about our life and we want our sorrows to go away. We might be tempted to turn to alcohol as a medication, if you will, to try to dull our senses and our experience. We want our problems to be removed. Sexual temptation that is out there. We want to give in to temptation of ours that makes us happy. Many people give in right there. Many people give in at this point. Jesus faced a very similar temptation that we all face. Do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. That's what the world would tell you. That's what Satan wants Jesus to do. 
But you continue on, there's a second temptation that we see here that the devil throws at Jesus. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 5, this is what I would say the devil is trying to get Jesus to be sensible. I put quotation marks around that because this isn't really using good sense, but it's how Satan's going to try to frame it. Notice the temptation in verse 5 of Luke chapter 4, verse 5. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. I think what Satan is doing here, he's showing Jesus all the people of the world. It's not about political power. It's all about the kingdoms and the nations. And I think Satan is trying to get Jesus to see, hey, there is another path. And if you want to establish your own kingdom, okay, I'll give you a kingdom. If you want to be a king, I'll make you a king. I have a kingdom. All the kingdoms of the world are mine. You don't have to go to a cross and die to become a king. All you need to do is worship me. Come on, be sensible, man. <laughs> That's what Satan is doing here. He's trying to see, get Jesus to recognize you may not have to go to the cross. You may not have to go and die and be crucified and be mocked and beaten and killed by others who would hate you and despise you and mock you. No. There's another way. And if you would only bow down and worship Me, then I will make you a king. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. So Jesus faces this temptation about sensibility. Worship Satan or choose the death on a cross. Which seems most sensible if we're looking at it just if you're making a pros and cons list, right? <laughs> if you were to make a pro and con list and decide, okay, which one should I do here? And one involves dying, a humiliating, very public, shameful death. Which one are you going to choose? Which one might you choose? Because so many times when Satan comes at us trying to tempt us, he's trying to get you to take the easy way out. Let's look for the shortcut. Let's avoid the hard and the difficult way. And if he can get us to, if he can appeal to this idea of sensibility, then He can get us to rationalize our sin. Because we'd say, well, I mean, what would you do? <laughs> we would say, this is just the, the, the right thing to do. Why do you think people lie and become deceptive because they have told themselves something that is untrue, but they have told themselves that because they believe it. 
And they want you to believe their lie. So they can rationalize whatever behavior might follow. Or when it comes to strife and malice, how many times do we say, well, we have this attitude when we argue with someone, well, I'm right, they're wrong, they need to change. We rationalize our behavior because we have accepted those kinds of conditions. And so we say, well, anything that we would do can't be wrong. You can't say that I'm being insensible here or I'm being irrational. The devil has many people on this one. And there are lies and deceptions. Maybe some of the young people will know. YOLO, you only live once or only one life to live. How many times does the devil get us to believe those things and get us to act on this idea of sensibility? That's what Jesus is facing in that second temptation. The third temptation that Jesus faced in verse 9, And He led Him to Jerusalem and had Him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Upon the first two unsuccessful attempts to get Jesus to sin, the devil then just appeals to the very sensational thing. Hey, just go throw yourself off the temple. That may seem odd to us. But then what is so interesting here is that the devil himself gets Jesus or tries to get Jesus to give in to this temptation by quoting Scripture. He says, look, this isn't crazy. Because... Jesus, let me remind you, in Psalm 91, basically, is what the devil says. In Psalm 91, the psalmist wrote, He will give his give, command His angels concerning you to guard you. So there's nothing that's going to happen to you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus, if you really believe that, verse, just go ahead and jump off the, the temple. Come on, Jesus. If you really believe it, if you believe God's Word, then let's see if God's going to do it. And what Jesus realizes, there's a huge difference between jumping and stumbling. And so he replies, you are not going to put the Lord your God to the test. 
But how many people stumble and sin because they feel God's Word validates them in some way? And so the devil is able to encourage them to do the sensational, to do things that they normally would not do. Sins based on the misunderstanding of Scripture would lead people to believe in once saved, always saved. To give security to people, making them think that even if they sin, as long as they believe, they cannot be lost. Or premillennialism. That causes people to believe that the kingdom of God is here, or not here, and it's not, it has not yet been established, and that they are still waiting this physical, earthly kingdom. And I think what makes these false teachings difficult to undo is that they are logical within their own framework. They seem perfectly reasonable and scriptural. And yet they lead us down some very sensational, they lead to some very sensational conclusions. But then what we also recognize is that the devil, even though he was unsuccessful on each of these attempts, he was going to continue his temptations. Notice there in verse 13, this is some information that Luke provides us with that is not found in Matthew's account. It says, When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Until an opportune moment. The devil realized, okay, not winning right now. But I'm going to come back. And I'm reminded of whenever... Jesus began to be more explicit about His mission to go to the cross. In Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew the 16th chapter, and in verse 23, that He began to teach His apostles about how it was necessary for Him to go up to Jerusalem to, to suffer and to die and be killed and to be raised up on the third day. And you'll remember that Peter took Him aside and he was like, no, let's not, we're not going to let that happen. And remember Jesus' words to Peter in Matthew 16 and verse 23? Get behind me, Satan. He realized that this was another time that Satan was trying to get Jesus to turn away from his divine mission. Later on in Matthew 27, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, in Matthew chapter 27 and in verse 40, and if, if you ask me just my personal opinion about what was the hardest and most difficult temptation that Jesus suffered and faced, it might be this one right here. Because in Matthew chapter 27 and in verse 40, when Jesus is on the cross, as He is beginning to, to endure this pain and the suffering, as He is there, it says in verse 40, that those who are passing by, they are seeing Him and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. I mean, that's exactly the same phrasing that the devil used. 
If you're the Son of God, then do this. Not too late, Jesus. If you can, if you're really who you say you are, if you have all this power, then you could just come down from that cross. We see those moments where Satan was still trying to tempt Jesus to come down from the cross. So how did Jesus conquer this temptation that Satan was throwing at Him? How was He able to do some some of this? I believe He decided that He was going to live His life in accordance to the Father's will. And that's a choice that He made, and that's a choice that you and I have to make. Obedience is a choice. And that was something that Jesus determined. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Remember His words to His apostles in John chapter 4 after His discussion with the woman at the well? In John chapter 4, Jesus said in verse 34, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. That Jesus made His whole life's motivation and ambition to doing God's will. When we make that decision to give our life to the Father, to do His will, to be obedient to Him, that's the first thing that we have to do if we're going to be successful in temptation. If we're going to be victorious, when we face temptation, we have to go back to our commitments. And then secondly, we need to know God's Word in each and every temptation that Jesus faced that we're given record of in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Verse 8, Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Each time He responded with Scripture, again in verse 12, when He said, It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And He understood that when Satan was coming to work on Jesus, a third thing that we have to be very prepared for in temptation is we have to be prepared for Satan's tricks and his schemes. Satan is... You can't underestimate your enemy. and We don't need to underestimate Satan. Because he's crafty. He's going to try to employ others to do his dirty work. Remember when, when Peter was like, oh no, Jesus, you can't die. And Jesus responded, get behind me, Satan. He's going to try to get other people to do His work. He's going to quote Scripture. He's going to try to get you to believe something about the words in this book. He's going to try to get you to believe something wrong about it. Satan 
is crafty. He's sneaky. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 11 that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul would say uh, this about Satan in verse 14 and 15, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. That Satan is going to try to work on you and manipulate you. He's going to try to deceive you. He's going to try to get your associations to turn you towards Him. And Jesus had a knowledge of this. He understood God's Word. He understood Satan's tricks. And then something else that I think He understood was what Luke tells us. He's going to come back. He's going to come back for that opportune time. And so what Jesus had to do, and something that we always have to do, we can never let our guard down. Because the devil is going to continue to work on you, especially at a time that is convenient for him. And when you are weak. I would suggest to you this is how Jesus conquered temptation. And He conquered temptation like this. And if He conquered temptation, you and I can conquer temptations by following the same path that Jesus faced. That's how Jesus conquered it. And you can too. The temptation of Jesus. Because Jesus was victorious over the devil's temptations. He did not give in. Jesus shows us the example that we are to follow. We are to follow in His steps. Peter said, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Jesus was tempted and overcame that temptation to bring aid, to bring rescue, to bring salvation for us. As we have come to understand the Gospel is for all because all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need the Gospel. Because the Gospel is for all. Jesus gave His life for all people. He defeated the devil for all people. Therefore, this morning, you need to ask yourself, are you willing to turn away from the world and the temptation and the sin that is there? Are you willing to give up the allurements that Satan is trying to get you to be deceived by? And are you committed to following God and His will? Jesus shows us the path of victory. 
this morning, if you want to come to enjoy the blessing and the benefit of salvation, we encourage you to come to Christ. To come to be forgiven of your sins. Believing in Him, being baptized in water to have your sins washed away so that you can become His child. Maybe it is you've made that choice and to follow Jesus, but you've not been living faithfully. We'd encourage you to come making correction of your life this morning. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?